grace and mercy and love and all that you could think of and what we need. But let me read Genesis 3.15. And God said, I will put enmity <clears throat> between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first gospel message, if you will, ever delivered on earth and to man. It, was, it really was a sermon like no other because Jehovah himself was preaching it. And the whole congregation was there. Adam, Eve, and the serpent. They were all there. And when this sermon was <clears throat> delivered, God hadn't pronounced judgment to either Adam and, and Eve. But the judgment that was declared was directed specifically to the serpent, Satan. And these words weren't spoken directly to Adam and Eve. They were directed specifically to the serpent and his punishment. And it was his punishment for what he had done. And in the worst sense, Satan had destroyed a part of God's works. He had introduced sin into the world. And it was his punishment for what he had done. A world that before was without sin. But now Satan had put, stamped his own image now on mankind. And he gained a whole world of new helpers to help him spread his rebellion and his disobedience. But God in the manger introduced hope into the world, a hope that's desperately needed today, has been since day one. God put his own image now on the human race in Jesus Christ. And he started to gather a world of new helpers of his own to promote his love and his peace and to remove disobedience. God has now stepped in and God now takes on the battle personally and he causes the serpent to be disgraced on that battlefield, planet Earth. We had just won a victory, though it was a short-lived victory. You know, a lot of Christians think planet Earth is, uh, is a playground. A place to have fun and, and just, and, you know, and just... Walk carelessly about it. But this is, this is Satan's territory. And we as Christians have to be careful where we go, what we do, what we see, who we hang out with. Because Satan has enemies everywhere and he has mines and traps everywhere. It's a battlefield. And Jehovah tells the serpent here, I'm going to fight this battle between you and mankind. I'm going to deal with you, Satan, personally. And this battle's not going to be between uh, you and man. It's going to be between, be between you and me. And God said here, I will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he promises a Savior that will <clears throat> be born in a manger in due time. Even though he'll suffer. And, and Satan will strike, uh, God will strike a, a vital part of the power of evil and, and bruise the serpent's head. Enmity means enemy. Jesus specifically designated Satan as the enemy. He is our enemy. He's our adversary. He is no friend whatsoever. And here we have to look closely at the first gospel sermon that the earliest believers laid their lives on. This was all that was made known to Adam and all that Abel 
had received. This one little verse, this prophecy, was like one little bright star in the darkest sky. A ray of hope where man had none. Abel looked up, saw it, and he believed. So this one promise was man's only word of a future hope. The Lord didn't you know, reveal any more information until He spoke to His servant Noah. And those ancient forefathers who lived before the flood. They rejoiced in this mysterious promise of Genesis and they put their, they put their faith in it. They rested on it. And they died in faith in this one little promise. They didn't have the whole Bible like we do today. They trusted in God's word what little they had. Think of that. How many times, and I know myself, you know, oh, I can't believe what I can't understand. And it's funny how we don't use that logic in everyday life. And I've used the illustration before. I'll use it again. You know, I think of jet propulsion. How many understand the theory of jet propulsion? I used to work on them, and I still don't. And yet, we won't think twice about getting on a plane. To go from point A to point B, we, have, we, have, we, don't, we don't know who the captain is. We, we don't know his, his, his health, his history, his training. We don't know anything about him. But we'll just get on that plane, and we'll take off and really not have a care in the world. Electricity. I don't understand how it works. It's amazing to me. But just because I don't understand how electricity works, I don't hesitate at the light switch and go, and I don't know how this stuff works. Do I put it on or not? We just go in and we flip. We've been doing it ever since we've known what a light switch is. Oh, but when it comes to Christ, I can't believe in what I can't understand. You don't have to understand in order to believe. It has, you know, it has everything to do with the one that gives the message. Now, if you come and tell me or ask me, hey, you know, can, you know, I, I have a heart problem. And, and I was, you know, I wonder if, you know, you could do heart surgery. <laughs> You're in a lot of trouble. But you go to a doctor, he says, I know what to do. You don't worry about it. It has everything to do with the one giving the message. You might think, it's not very much to hold on to this, this one little verse and stake your life on. But that promise is wonderfully loaded with meaning. In this one verse, like I already said, you have the whole gospel. And, and notice here, it's the great mystery of the incarnation of Christ, of God coming in the flesh. The first Christmas. Jesus is that seed of the woman spoken of here. And it's not very clear how that carnation, that incarnation would take place, how it would happen. Jesus wasn't born like all other men. Mary, the Bible says, was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And that holy child was born. That child that was born to her was in regard to the humanity, to his humanity, the seed of woman only. As it was written, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, Isaiah seven fourteen. 
Now, the word overshadow means to envelop in a haze of brilliancy, figuratively to invest with preternatural influence, which means existing out of nature. Jesus wasn't born in the normal way, by the ordinary way. It was a supernatural thing. And the promise clearly teaches that the deliverer would be born of a woman. And it also predicts the miraculous way that the Savior would be conceived and born. There clearly was to be a seed of the woman on God's side against the serpent. A seed of the serpent that would always be on the evil side, just like it is today. The church of God and the church of Satan both exist. We saw an Abel and we saw a Cain. An Isaac and an Ishmael. A Jacob and an Esau. Those born after the flesh. Children of their devil, the father. The father of the devil. Because they do his works. They were born after their kind. In this first promise of Christmas, we see he was born to suffer. His suffering is clearly predicted. You shall bruise his head. And in these words, we find the whole story of of our Lord's sorrows. And he was born to take on our sorrows from that that, that lowly little town of Bethlehem to the wonderful hill of Calvary. He shall bruise your head. Jesus will bruise the head of Satan. And in these words, we find the good news of the Christmas story. Because it's the birth of Christ. It's the breaking of the serpent's power. It's the removal of sin. It's the destruction of death by resurrection. There's the victory of truth in in the world through the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then there's the glory in those last days when that serpent will be bound forever. He and all of his, of his little followers will be cast into the lake of fire. But the battle and the victory are found in these words in Genesis 3.15. These words of hope. They may not have been clearly understood by those who first heard them. But to us, they are now full of light and they're full of hope for us. Because of a gracious God, we should sing joy to the world. They, those at that time, they lived by faith in this promise. And they were comforted in everything they did in their labor and in their toil. And no doubt they entered into everlasting life. And again, that's why Christmas is should be so meaningful to us. It's our reason to live on by faith in the promise of His birth in that stable in Bethlehem. He's, he's our comfort in labor, labor in, and in toil and in affliction and will be an eternal life. I want to look at three things in this verse. First, the facts, and there are four of them. First, Enmity. Enmity was exciting. The verse starts out, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Eve and the serpent had been friends before. 
They had talked before. At the time, the serpent seemed to be her friend. She was very friendly with, with, with Satan. I mean, so much so that she took his advice. She didn't listen to God. She was willing to believe the bad things that Satan had to say about her creator. Ah, he doesn't want you to enjoy life. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't want you to be like him. And, you know, all the things that, that Satan tries to tell us to deny God or to reject God. But the moment that God spoke, that friendship between Eve and Satan, it began to fall apart. Because now she tells God, well, you know, it was the serpent. <laughs> it was his fault. For my sin. He deceived me and I ate of the fruit. You see, the friendship of sinners doesn't last very long. Notice they've started to fight. They started to point fingers and argue. And, and now the Lord steps, steps in and he graciously takes advantage of this quarrel. That started now. And he says, I will just take it a little bit further. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. I'm going to make, put hostility between you two. The serpent was counting, you see, on, on, on man's children to help him out. But God was going to break up this little covenant that they had. With the head of hell. And he was going to raise up a seed that would go to war against his power. So this is God's declaration. This is God's announcement that he's going to set up a rival kingdom. To fight Satan and the oppression of sin. And he was going to create in the hearts of a chosen seed. An enmity. A hostility against evil. So that they would fight against it. They suffer many battles and many wounds to overcome the serpent. But you see, if you don't want to experience any wounds or any, any, any injury, you can stay out of the battle. But a person that's in a battle, they're going to get wounded. And as a result of this, Christ was born. And from here on, the woman was to hate the serpent. And after everything that happened, she... She probably did. Because she had plenty of reason for hating him, you know, as often as she'd think of him. And would probably, probably be in such deep regret that she could have ever listened to his lying words. Because the father had given her and Adam so much. He had given them all they needed to be happy. But they disobeyed the only law that God had given them. So they were expelled from the garden forever. And if this world was to ever to get back to its garden-like environment, something had to be done. Somebody had to come and restore the lives that were destroyed by Satan. There was enmity now between Christ and Satan because Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and to set those free who are, who are under his bondage. That's why Jesus was born on that first Christ, Christmas morning. For that purpose, he lived. 
to destroy the works of the devil. For that purpose, he died. And for that purpose, he ascended to heaven. And for that purpose, he's going to come again. So that wherever he might find our adversary, he will today, he will totally destroy him and his works from among the human race. Putting this this hostility, this enmity between the two seeds was the beginning of God's plan of, of mercy and grace. It's the first act in God's plan to restore grace. Of the woman's seed, it was said from that point on, Psalm 45, 7, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Then the seventh fa- second fact, the prophecy. That has also become a fact that, that is the, the coming of the Savior. The promise of the woman's seed is to support the cause of Christ and to oppose the serpent. That seed is the Lord Jesus. The prophet Micah said in Micah 5, 2, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Referring to Jesus Christ, the babe born in Bethlehem of Mary. It was Mary who conceived and gave birth to a son. And it's about her son that we sing. For unto us a child is born. Unto us the son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace in Isaiah 9.6. On that special night in Bethlehem. The the angels in heaven sang. The shepherds living in the fields were watching over their flock at night. And an angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there was born to you this day in the city of David, a, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The seed of the woman was born. Genesis 3.15 was fulfilled. And as soon as he was born... <laughs> It didn't take long. Satan entered into into Herod's heart to kill that baby. To kill God, if that was possible. But as we know, the father spared him and didn't allow any harm to come to him. And as soon as Jesus started his public ministry 30 years later, the serpent met him face to face in, in, in the temptation in the wilderness. Where Satan fought with the woman's seed, Jesus. The servant attacked him three times with all the temptation that he could throw at him. Flattery, evil, craftiness, wealth. But the Savior wasn't touched by any of it. And Jesus chased him away. And then Jesus sets up his kingdom and called men to himself. To take the war to Satan in his own territory. And in many places we know he cast out demons. And they had to obey. They tried to hide themselves even in pigs. To get away from Christ's holy presence. They trembled in his presence. And in his infinite power. He made his own disciples powerful and victorious. Against the enemy and his armies. And finally, Satan's power was destroyed on the cross at Calvary. 
So we see the great hope in the Christmas story. But from that day to today, that battle rages on. In his seed. In Satan's seed. And it's getting worse as time goes by. We preach Christ crucified. And when we do every sermon that that preaches Christ crucified, it shakes Satan's kingdom to the bone. When, When people come to Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, every person that gets saved, that's just one more person that's removed from Satan's hold. It comes out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. The third fact in our text is that, say, is that the Savior's heel shall be bruised. Speaking of Christ's human nature, it was always made to suffer. He carried our sickness and he carried our sorrows. Isaiah 53 tells us that. But the bruising came mostly when his body and his mind, his whole human nature was made to suffer. When his soul was, you know, it was so deeply sorrowful. And his enemies, they pierced his hands and and his feet and and he endured the shame and the pain of the cross. Death by crucifixion. Now this is where Satan bruised his heel. But it wasn't just that God bruised him. Even though the Bible says it pleased the Father, but Satan let loose Herod and Pilate and Caiaphas and the Jews, all the the instruments, all the Roman instruments that Satan used for his bruising. But only his heel was bruised. See, a, a, a bruised, that's not a fatal blow. Even though he died, it was a short death. And on the third day, he resurrected to an endless life. The fourth fact, after his heel was bruised, uh, uh, bruised, I'm sorry, after his heel was bruised, Jesus bruised the serpent's head and that was a fatal blow. By Christ's sufferings, Jesus had overthrown Satan. God had broken his power. Now, what is the experience of those who believe these facts? How does God deal with those who are called? He wants to save us. How does God do that? First of all, He comes to us in mercy. He draws us. He begins to put enmity between us and and our enemy, the devil. That's the very first work of grace. At one time, and we can probably all agree at one time there was a peace between you and Satan. I never had any problems with him when I was in the world. Boy, when he tempted us, we gave in. Whatever he said, we believed. We were his willing slaves and we served him well. Well, I, I, don't, I served him well. But then something happened. You know, you started to feel uneasy. I mean, that's why you're all sitting here. You started to feel uneasy. You weren't satisfied with that stuff anymore. The world's pleasures didn't, they didn't please you anymore. 
that old apple that was so shiny and so good looking and, and just, you just had to have it. It wasn't as, as appealing anymore as when you first saw it. Those things that we used to think were so much fun and, and you, it just, it didn't just have, it didn't have the kick anymore. And in the Lord's infinite love and grace, He started to draw you to Him. You didn't know it. You didn't know what was going on. You just began to think and go, man, is this all there is to life? Is this all I'm going to do for the rest of my life till the day I die? You began to resist sin. You 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 didn't like the consequences of it anymore. And then you heard about Jesus and you understood the truth about Him. And you know, it seemed like such a wonderful thing that, that, that He would take my sins and die for my sins and forgive me of my sins and, and die for me upon a cross and, and take my place. And that He would give us His righteousness and His own life. That you might be saved and, and get a new start in life. I mean, that's why he came. That's what Christmas is all about. Then, just like Jesus was shunned, guess what? You began to get shunned. You're no fun anymore. I want to hang out. People don't want to hang out with you. You didn't have the same attractiveness and excitement as you once had to those people around you. And now you're considered religious, a fanatic, a Jesus freak. And in a way, this is kind of your heel being bruised like Jesus' heel was bruised. Then there's the encouragement when you believe those first four facts. It seems that this verse was very encouraging to Adam. And that encouragement is found in his wife's name, Eve. It means life because she was the mother of all living. Life was to come through her by the promised seed, Christ. Adam shows his total confidence in that promise, even though at the time she hadn't given birth yet. He didn't complain about God's condemnation against him to work the land with the hard labor and to get his bread by the sweat of his brow. And Eve didn't complain about her sorrows at childbirth. They both quietly accepted the sentence that they deserved. Man, that we all deserve, really. Which speaks of their perfect, perfect acceptance of their punishment. There was no child yet that they could put their future hopes on. Nor would the true seed be born for many years. But on that still far away Christmas morning, Eve is said to be the mother of all living. And he calls her so. And when you apply that kind of faith, man, you will get the greatest comfort from it. Matthew 1, 21, And she will bring forth the Son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people. Knows us from their sins, not in their sins. There's a big difference. From them. So when we leave this morning, let's leave with this one thing from this promise that's given to us about our Lord's victory over the serpent and rejoice in it. 
by the way of encouragement in pursuing in going you know pursuing the Christian life expect to be attacked well what's that to rejoice about why do I want to leave here this morning and rejoice in the fact that I'm going to be to expect to be attacked <clears throat> because you see if you're experiencing trouble being a Christian because you're a Christian be encouraged by that don't regret it don't fear it Rejoice in it because this is the, the, the constant sign of the covenant that you have with God. I mean, like Jesus said, if I'm going to suffer, you're going to suffer. They hated me, they're going to hate you. There's enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent to this very day, this very moment. And if you don't experience any of it, you should start to worry that you might be on the wrong side. like the young pastor speaking to the older pastor. He was boasting about how, oh, man, you know, he says, I've been serving God and, you know, I don't have any, you know, Satan never bothers me. You know, I have no trouble with him. And the older, wiser sir, pastor said, well, maybe you guys are walking in the same direction. Could be. Why would Satan bother you if you're not doing anything for the kingdom of God? If you're not being effective, you're not winning souls and bringing people to Christ. Now that you suffer mockery and sarcasm and affliction, rejoice. Because now you are partakers of that glorious seed of the divine nature of woman in the bruising of his heel. And there's still more encouragement, more than this. Our suffering as a Christian isn't because of us. It's because, of that it's because you are partners with the great seed of the woman, Jesus. You are partners with Christ. Don't think for one minute that serpent cares about you one bit. The battle is against Jesus. The serpent would never bother you. If it wasn't because of Christ in you. Before you were a Christian. Without Christ in the world. You might have. Sinned however you wanted. And, and you can remember your friends. Your co-workers. Your relatives. They weren't disappointed with you. They gladly. Joined in your sin. You know it's, all, it's always easy to find somebody to. To sin with. Whatever that sin might be. But when you, you know, back in the days, hey, let's go to this party. Let's go, you know, let's go drink. Let's Not a problem. They go, and then you just say, hey, go to church with it. What? No way. I remember because I was one of those. What? In closing, we need to always resist the serpent by remembering that he has, he has received a bruised head. He's damaged goods, man. We don't need to be afraid of him. His power is gone. Doesn't mean he's, he's, he's powerless, but his power against us is gone. His, he's fighting a losing battle. It's already lost. He's just going through the... He's barely standing. He's fighting against omnipotence. He's fighting against the promise of the Father and the blood of the Son... 
and the Holy Spirit, which all three are involved in defending the children of God. So what we need to do is to be steadfast in resisting the serpent, being strong in faith. That's why we sing at Christmas, glory to God in the highest. Father, we thank you so much for your awesome word, Lord. We thank you for the Son. Father, we praise you, Father, for sending your Son that we might have a Savior. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for teaching us so much about all things, God. And Father, help us to understand, God, that you came to give life and that life more abundantly. And that Satan came to steal and to rob and to destroy. (laughs) If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, our prayer is that you would come to know Him. And if the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart and you've become disillusioned and dissatisfied with this world and the ways of this world and the things around you. That's because Christ is putting enmity between you and this world. And if you recognize you need Christ in your life, you need to be saved. You need to be forgiven of your sins. If you want to receive Him this morning, I must say this, this, this prayer of faith. And as I do, you repeat it to the Lord with all of your heart. Dear Jesus, I confess to you that I am a sinner. Forgive me for all of my sins. I want to receive you as my Lord. And my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And help me now. To follow you. All of the days of my life. And thank you Lord. For saving me. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. He said that prayer. And um, you know. If you need a Bible. Come and see me. Or Pastor Tony. Or. Somebody here, running around here working, uh, the guys on the cameras and whatever it might be, uh, we'll be glad to get you one and, you know, get you, uh, go to a Bible teaching church, not just any church, but a Bible teaching church where you begin to grow in your faith and your new walk with Christ. So again, um, we do pray that you uh, did repeat that, that, that prayer. For communion this morning... I'm taking the text from 1 Corinthians 10, 16. Now, before I forget, do you guys, did everybody get a, a, a cup and bread? If not, raise your hand and the ushers will make sure to get one out to you.